0: you are tuned in to episode 27 of the Video Game Pals, the Pals Network's weekly video game podcast where a group of lifelong gamers get together to talk about video games, the news, and how it all makes us feel. I'm your host, Pete Bessie, and we've got a full house this episode. Uh, today, I am joined, as always, by my ever-present co-host and antagonist, Mr. Andy Brown. So if this is a full house, can I be Uncle Jesse? <sighs> yeah, you can be Uncle Jesse. Yes! But you have to be Uncle Jesse in, like, season one where he has a sick mullet.
1: <laughs> That's the price we pay to be John Stamos, kids. I'd say it's worth it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we we we've also got the Edge Lord with the heart of gold, Mister Robert Thompson. Hey, thanks. I like that one a lot. I'm glad it stuck. <laughs> <laughs> and the Guildmaster himself, Mister Sean Bartley. Hello, hello. But we've also got our second ever guest today, who also happens to be our first ever returning guest today. Uh, back from after her starring role on that episode we did about loot boxes, the eSports Dynamo, Miss Peggy Mori... F- more How do you say it? Mori. Right, um,
2: um, that's me. I'm Peggy Mori Ford is, is how Boom. you say it, Pete.
0: <laughs> I mean, usually that's the kind of thing I would ask about before we do the show, but I thought it would be funny
1: if I waited until right now.
2: Yeah, so. yeah, uh-huh. that, <laughs> that was
1: the game, yep. Eyes are a little bit high carb for me, could we get Peggy less I-Ford instead?
0: <laughs> I
1: less less Rye. Less I- uh, I
0: don't know if that one works.
2: Okay, I'm so. really just here to talk about how terrible water Pokemon are then. Oh,
0: God oh. Yes. Oh. fucking
3: damn it, Peggy! Yeah, you're, you know what?
2: You're going to talk about my, my name like that? I'm just going to go off about Water Pokemon. So, derail everything. This Last is what voice. we're talking about. <laughs>
3: Don't come at Blastoise. (laughs)
2: No, I won't, Sean. Just for you, I won't. Everything else, I'm fair game. Don't come
3: at Blastoise.
0: Oh, my God. This is why I respect you, Sean. You're the only one on this podcast (laughs) that's got the true reverence. There you go. So I was going to say I was so glad to have you on an episode that I am finally hosting, and I was going to give you an opportunity to apologize for your comments about water Pokemon last time.
2: I don't apologize for many things, and the lack of respect for water Pokemon is not one of them. Yeah, no.
0: Ooh. I, I stand by monster. what I Unbelievable monster. Uh, anyway, so, Peggy, it's, it's, I guess, a pleasure to have you on this show, you're a dear friend of mine, so, of course, you're a fucking unbelievable monster who sasses me left and right,
2: You helped but create this monster, for the record, he and I, I worked did, together I in did. college. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, uh, before we get into everything, why don't you just real quick, uh, for those who might have missed the episode you were on last time, just plug where they can find you, what kind of stuff you do when you're not here- sassing my beloved water pokemon
2: yeah when well, i'm not doing that and that's a full-time job let me tell you uh i am an esports journalist uh, i mostly cover overwatch but i have covered csgo in the past some fighting games uh kind of this and that uh i'm mainly known for Ghosty gamers formerly but now i'm with winston's lab and i'm a freelance esports journalist you can find me on twitter morai m-o-i-r-a-i-o-w that's morai o-w like overwatch uh, and I'm mostly on Twitter. Um, you can also find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash
0: Awesome. So yeah, uh, I think we teased this last week, but basically with all of the big eSports news that has been kind of coming out over the last month or so, we thought we'd have Peggy back on to talk about it. We're going to save that for our meat and potatoes today, uh, but we've got a full show before that. So real quick, let's uh, jump into what we're playing this week, like we do every week, Um we're, we're kind of trying to revamp this segment a little bit. So, you know, we're, we're going to be trimming some of the fat and just talking about big highlights and stuff like that. So if you guys miss our more, you know, like kind of broad impressions like that, you can let us know in the comments below or whatever. Um, but this is how we're trying it this week. So the big topic is Mario Odyssey. You know, Mario Odyssey dropped this week. Uh, Peggy and I have both picked it up. Uh, Andy is a scrub and left his Switch in New Jersey, so
1: he's got to wait. I wouldn't have picked up Mario Odyssey anyway. I don't believe in supporting games
3: that feature Italians. <laughs> wow. I hate you. Wow. Yeah. Just the straight racism. Just were how deep in. Just targeting
1: me and then now you just attack my entire race. That's good. Man, I didn't attack your entire race. Like I didn't say anything about white people as a whole, just specifically Italians. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's that's all I am. Every okay? few, every few uh, <laughs> half a year he gets a little bit more broad, so expect that in next year. So, aside from Andy being a horrible racist monster, uh I have a ton of thoughts about this game already, but um Peggy, what are you what are you thinking about Mario Odyssey so far? How far into the game are you?
2: I am about like I'm very uh very new into it. My sister was playing it a lot more than I was. Um, I think she's at New Donk City, so, like, she's, she's pretty well into it. Um, I am just barely out of the tutorial, so, not, not that close. But, um, I, I like it. It kind of has that, that sort of Zelda feel to me, that whole new world, uh, that far more, like, exploratory feel. I don't, eh, it's, I feel like I need more time to really say anything, like, conclusive, Um, it's not impressive to me right now, but I think it does have some potential, and I've heard that it really picks up once you get to New Donk City, because that's where everything kicks off, and that's where, like, all the fun stuff happens, is what I've been told. So, I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting to that part, and, like, that's really what I'm grinding for, to be honest, just to get to that, plus some dog somewhere that apparently everyone loves (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> but that plus New Dong City is what I'm grinding for. But otherwise, like, you know, it's a, it's a lot of fun because it's a Mario game, and I'm going to like it either way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I uh, I definitely think that the the intro's a little slow, which is, like, weird because, I mean, I think generally a lot of the 3D Mario games do a pretty good job of just, like, jumping you right in and getting moving. At least 64, that's kind of one of its biggest strengths, I think. <laughs> um, but I definitely think, like, this has, like, a real hard cold open into the plot, and even where I'm at in the game, which is a few worlds after you, I'm still kind of, like, I feel like I'm still kind of um, being shuttled forward right now, like, mm. towards the plot, um, and I haven't really gotten to that open point that I've heard about the game reaching to. Like, I haven't gotten to New Dong City yet, but I it's because I've been, like, hitting—I've been trying to find as many moons as I can in every world that I've been in. Makes so, sense. Like, I haven't made it—I'm only in, um, I think it's Lake World, which is, like, the third world that you uh, encounter. But I've already got, like, 46 or 47 moons
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um, just because I've been, like, fucking, like, you know, just going ham. Nice. Um, So I'm really enjoying it. I think, like, there's a lot of things that it does really well. It's the first time— you know, in a long time that we've gotten a 3D Mario game like this, and, like, on a graphical level, um, I'm impressed by a lot of just, like, the look of it, you know? And, like, not in a, like, oh, my God, how realistic this looks, but very much the way I felt when I was playing Breath of the Wild, where it's, like, you know, a lot of the moments in that game feel like you're just, like, standing in a fucking oil painting. And, like, I feel like in this, a lot of the, like, big sweeping, like, panoramic shots just have, like, a very, like... They give me, like, very, like, Mario Sunshine vibes, you know, like, where it's just, like, this bright, you know, like, vibrant tapestry, um, which is which is really cool. And then on a gameplay level, it's, like, you know, it's a 3D Mario game, and it handles, like, one, it's really fluid. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with the more open level design, and the fact that, like, every time you get a moon, you're not forced back out. It doesn't feel like you're, like, hitting missions. It feels like you're kind of, like in a world exploring looking for secrets and you know there are certain things that are like the boss fight or the thing that like it highlighted you to do in the first place but the real hook for me has been finding all the things that it hasn't been funneling me towards you know
2: i also heard it got a six out of five by the way from like a independent newspaper
0: I'm, uh, I'll pull up Metacritic right now. Yeah. Um, I, I know that there was, there was a fake news story going around where, um, there's this YouTuber, uh, that Thompson and I are a fan of, Jim Sterling, who mm-hmm. gave, uh, Breath of the Wild a 7 out of 10, which was, like, the lowest score it got anywhere. And then for Odyssey now, there's, like, a fake, uh, sc- screenshot going around that said that he gave it, like, a 7. And
4: it came out, like, before he played it or even the game was out or anything, so so yeah. he
0: made he made a video about it when he was like, I don't know if this is somebody just trying to troll Nintendo or if they're trying to like specifically get people to like spew hate at me, but like, good, well played, I guess. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I-, I think the the majority of the the reviews I've seen have been about what you'd expect. You know, it's it's sitting at a ninety seven on
1: Metacritic right now. That's that's a lot of critics. I don't know what the Metacritic like points. I guess. Oh yeah. Um, out of sixty-eight critics, so a ninety-seven out of sixty-eight. Good job, Nintendo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So you know, I'm sure. I'm sure uh, we'll have more thoughts on the game in the weeks to come, like when Andy picks it up, inevitably or whatever. Um, I know Thompson and I have talked about doing a pal's play on it, so I'm sure we'll have more thoughts on Odyssey as it develops. But that's just kind of what we're thinking about it in the first couple. You know, first blush, first impressions. So, uh, anybody else have anything they want to touch on before we move on?
1: Yeah, I've been playing Fire Emblem Warriors on the new Nintendo 3DS handheld. Since I left my Switch at home, I had to pick it up on the inferior console, as Pete likes to refer to the 3DS. <laughs> well, it is. So, <laughs> Thanks, uh, I don't know. Double 3D- 3DS might be my favorite system ever, but that's neither here nor there. Fire Emblem Warriors is surprisingly fun for a Warriors game. Like, It's still very much a muso. Like, I still, you know, run around and beat up a thousand mooks. But, like, it's got some interesting, like, actual Fire Emblem strategy elements to it. So, um, you can, you control a bunch of characters over the course of the battle, and you can, like, switch over to one of them. Like, say, you know, you're fighting a guy way out here on the right side of the map, but then, oh no, somebody's attacking on the left. You can send, like, Crom or whoever or Robin to go fight the guy who just showed up and you keep beating on the guy you're beating on. That's cool. Yes. I like I like that the licensed ones that they've been
0: doing lately, like, they usually seem like they try to bring something from that yeah. franchise into it a little bit. Like, it definitely that seems
1: neat. feels like a Fire Emblem game. It's got some fun, like, Fire Emblem-y, I want to say fan service, but I know that, like, that has a connotation that I don't want to say. Mm. <laughs> so they don't have a face petting mini game, is what you're saying? Yeah, no, but it's like it's definitely playing up to the fact that it's got Fire Emblem heritage.
2: What kind of games are you playing, Pete? Um, excuse me, Peggy.
0: Face petting is a rich tradition in Fire Emblem. It's a
1: staple of the Fire Emblem games. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wait, the the mobile game, the Fire Emblem Heroes. And I'm pretty sure you don't do that. I could... Not yet. What? Oh, is it the DLC?
4: I stopped playing (laughs) Heroes because it doesn't have face petting. Yeah, I lost interest in it. (laughs) I played that game for a long time, and I got, like, at least 20, like, of the five-star gold people, and then I was like, there's no face petting, so this is all for nothing.
1: Gotta move on. Yeah, Yeah. like, why even have characters if you can't pet their faces? I know. You know? Pokemon learned that lesson. (laughs) And that's why
0: water Pokemon are trash. Oh. Hey, Yay. <laughs> uh, oh my god. Anyway, if you want to let us know what you're playing this week, give us a random question of the week, or just say, hey, you guys can write into the show at thevideogamepals at gmail.com to hear your thoughts right on the air, and uh, you guys can also follow our sister show at The Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold, stay up to date on all the stuff we've got going on here at The Pals Network. If you guys are an audio listener, we would greatly appreciate it if you dropped us a like on your platform of choice, or if you really want to help us out, you can head over to iTunes and uh, drop us a rating. We're currently a five-star rated podcast, so hopefully we can keep that trend going. And uh, if you guys are over on YouTube, you can do us a solid by liking the video, subscribing to the channel if you haven't already, and uh, check out Pals Play, Uh, me and Thompson's uh, daily Let's Play show, Monday through Friday. We've got our last episode of Until Dawn uh, posting today. Oh, the good one. (laughs) (laughs) The good one, yeah, we'll call it that,
1: you fucking asshole. (laughs) You know, if you start the Until Dawn Let's Plays around like 11 o'clock tonight, you can probably keep watching them Until Dawn. Whoa. Oh, shit. That's that's a good point. point. Next level. (laughs) (laughs) Too spooky, five me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. And last but not least, the best thing you guys can do to help us out is share the show with your friends, your pals, so they can become our pals too. Let let them know what we're doing out here, and uh, hopefully they'll come check it out. So, before we get into the news, we've got our rotating segment which this week, which means it's time for the
1: random question of the week! I'm so wow, surprised he do
2: not keep your audio.
3: <laughs> no, he definitely does. Oh, I do. The The look on Peggy's face while that was occurring was <laughs> probably the look on everyone's face when they hear that for the first time.
2: I've heard it before. I just haven't been able to witness the it. (laughs) it.
1: I believe the phrase you're looking for, Peggy, is "majesty." I don't know. Well, (laughs) is it? That's true. Are you sure? Hey, man, I tried, Pete. I'm standing up for you you here. Alright,
0: so uh, this week I wanted to ask you guys, in the spirit of Halloween, since this is posting on Halloween,
1: is, uh, what is your favorite horror game?
3: Ooh. Uh, Resident Evil 4.
1: Oh, solid! (laughs) Is that a horror game? I would posit no.
4: (laughs) Yeah, It's it's an action horror game. But it, I mean, it was like kind of what defined the action genre, uh, you know, action horror genre, so like it wasn't really called an action game back then.
1: It's just an action game. More what? For my
4: money. No. Dude, it personifies the villains so beautifully, because think about it, for the first time they are just undead monsters, they're actual people you're trying to kill. They talk and stuff,
1: and it gives you another level of spook. It's pretty good. I mean, it doesn't give me another level of spook. The bad guys in that game are fucking dumb. Frater Little, man. like, Spanish adult child, like, and spooky
3: bodyguard, and Krauser, like... I, I, I thought that the the point of this was... <laughs> for me to answer the question not for you to explain why you don't like the game that i chose so instead of that uh i'm going to talk and i'm going to explain why i like resident evil 4 put that motherfucker in his place sean (laughs) someone has to uh Resident Evil 4 was the first Resident Evil game that I picked up after the first one, which scared me so bad that I couldn't play the games until <laughs> Part 4 came out. Uh, and, I, and it was awesome on the Wii, especially uh, with the, the nunchuck and those controls. It really kind of brings you into it. Um, and despite what Andy says, there were a number of scares for me while playing the game. Uh, I chose stupidly to play it in the dark, so there were always moments that really caught me off guard and uh, caused those jump scares that people now flock to YouTube to watch. Um, it, it, it's, I mean, you can't say enough about Resident Evil 4, honestly. Like, I really think it was a breakthrough for that genre. Um, it sort of spawned a genre, as Thompson said, and uh, for me, it's always going to stand a cut above the rest as far as horror games are concerned, I think. Well said.
4: I agree. Cool,
1: yeah. And I'm not saying that Resident Evil I 4 do. is a bad game. It's just that like Pete hired
3: me to pick fights with people, so... That's what I do. <laughs> Did I? Listen, man, I'm I'm all for it. I love to spar. No worries. Andy's breaking kayfabe. <laughs> <laughs> Never do that Never do that Don't
1: apologize I mean Not on Do you air. want me to go like Cut the pipe bomb promo I'll sit down The video game pals Is fixed <laughs> <laughs>
3: That'd be entertaining
1: yes. I, Who else has a pick I like I don't have a specific pick Um, Like there's a lot of horror games I really like I have uh, fond memories Of the first five nights At Freddy's Even though like Hell yeah. It's kind of not a great game. Ah oh, man. Those are so fun though, right?
0: Yeah, like I don't know. I think I think their genius comes from their simplicity. You know, they're they're certainly manipulative games, but they're so good at manipulating you that like I feel like that's
1: it's clever. Yeah, it's it's definitely clever. Um and I'm not saying it's not. It's just like Ah uh, I don't know if you're there's not There's not much there. Yeah, there's not a ton there.
2: I think the storyline is what's probably the most, like, (laughs) horrific of it, once you figure out what the storyline is. Yeah,
3: absolutely. When when you figure out what the storyline is, please let me know, because I'm (laughs) dying to know. I've watched a million theory videos, and I still don't know.
2: There was literally a game theory that came out, like, yesterday about it. It's like, this is part one, part two is coming out next week. I'm like, I'm I'm here, Matt Pat, let's go. I, I think Matt Pat has done like having. six
0: videos on it and I feel like
3: every time there's a new
2: game he's oh, yeah. like, Fucking he fucked up my timeline, it's time to start over, like
0: <laughs>
3: There's a new timeline. He's he's doing a new another timeline. I thought we were done with timelines.
2: Right, because FNAF and Sister Location is happening earlier than ever. And he's just like, <laughs> I, I give up. I give up. This is it. And if it doesn't work, it's fine. But, like, it's just a theory. Mm-hmm. Make this is it my effect. life now. I don't care. I feel, I feel bad for the guy, but, like.
1: I really appreciate um, that the lore is there and exists for people who want to go looking for it. But, like, I don't know, I think part of what makes the first game, like, what it is, is, like, how little it gives you. And it's just, like, spooky animatronics! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jump scare! Yeah, I, jump scare! I th- jump scare! I think, the-
0: <laughs> I think the first game was really something special, and I think when it became, like, what it is now, like, that aspect of it w- is, was changed, you know? Like, for better or worse. and Or maybe for better and worse, right? Because, like... Mm-hmm. Obviously, the, the, those games have their fan base. Um, and I think some of the other ones are, like, they're not, like, it's not like they've gone downhill. It's just, like, I'm less interested in it because it's, like, not novel anymore. And, like, there's so many of
1: them so quickly. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Um, Yeah, it feels like there's a new one every three weeks, kind of.
2: He slowed down. He, he
1: did slow down, but it was, like,
0: every year, yeah. and then now it's, like, what, every other year? So it's, like, yeah. I definitely don't, like, whenever they're, like, oh, new Five Nights at Freddy's coming out, I'm always just, like, yeah? Alright. Keep going, man.
1: Keep trucking, Scott. Like, do your thing. <laughs> Keep trucking, Scott. Um, but for my money, the best horror game is Alien Isolation, I think. As a whole. Oh, yeah. yeah. Love nice. that game. Um, it does a lot well in terms of, like, letting you feel just powerful enough that, like, the scare is constant and wonderful like it's not so much that one encounter is horrifying which like they can be cuz jump scares and shit sure but it's the sum total of like sitting there after a tricky firefight thinking oh god i have like four bullets left did i do that wrong have i fucked myself seven hours down the line here <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah that's that's where i'm at on alien isolation love the fuck out of that game Nice. Peggy's Peggy? got a hand. <laughs> Peggy from um. Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Excuse you? No, um, it counts as survival horror, I believe. So I'm gonna go with The Last of Us. Oh,
0: wow. That was my, That yeah, uh, totally counts. Big spook.
2: Yeah. Eight. E- yeah, it is it is five oh, spookies. Wait. <laughs> wait, we gotta uh, back up one second just... here.
4: You played The Last of Us sure. and you loved it, and these scrubs here never played this, and I've been preaching this fucking game for like how many years, Pete? Oh my god.
0: Yeah, none of us have played it except Thompson. <laughs> oh this game. And I, lo- I love Naughty Dog. It's just like I I didn't have a PS3 and I haven't gone back nice. to play it yet.
4: I think I-, I think I found my new best friend, like, right now. <laughs> Someone who played The Last of Us.
0: <laughs>
3: Peggy, here's how bad it gets. <laughs> I own okay. the game. It's 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 actually still in its wrapper. It's a plastic wrap print. we were
2: going to be friends.
3: I'm sorry. Sean, I'll I'm raise sorry. you. I own the game twice.
0: I when I got the PS when I got a PS3 late in college, I bought a copy of it, started it, and then had to stop because of finals.
2: I think I vaguely remember you saying that. We
0: talked about this when we yeah, when we were in school together. Yeah. And then I bought I just bought it again on PS4. Because it was on sale and I was like, I'll be more likely to play it on PS4. No, you won't. No, I will. Come, I will.
2: Guys No, that's what you said last time. Guys, <laughs> guys seriously. <laughs> Watch Did, Like, please play the game. It's an amazing game. I legitimately cried and I don't I don't cry a lot in video games. I think I've cried twice. With video games. They were both Not The Last of Us. <laughs> no, no, the other one was Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core. I was very young and in grade school. It doesn't matter. But the actual, like, Last of Us legitimately made me cry. It was in the first two minutes. And I can say that and people immediately know what I'm talking about.
1: I do. I played that far. <laughs> That's two more minutes of The Last of Us than I'm likely to ever play. Oh, Monster. God, I just don't and own we were a PS3 friends. or we were gonna, a PS4. We were gonna
2: be pals. <sighs> <laughs> it's
4: okay, I'm here. I'll be your pal. Thank you. I this I game.
2: Appreciate it. <laughs> it's a great game, and I would highly recommend anyone who a like likes the horror genre, doesn't like like jump scares as much, or like likes, likes like, story-driven games, but doesn't like to be, like, get nightmares at night, that sort of thing. It's a type of horror that isn't going to to freak you out all night. Um, Which is the type of stuff that I personally like, because I'm not about the... Like, I love Resident Evil, don't get me wrong, but, like, I can get nightmares from that and just not about that life. So uh, The Last of Us had a nice mix of action and horror that was able to be like, this is really cool. This is freaky at times and really scary at times, but it's very entertaining. It keeps me engaged without me having to worry about a monster jumping out of my bed (laughs) or under Yeah, no,
0: I I respect that. That's actually a good segue into my picks because my picks are all similar to that. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I did have two quick honorable mentions I wanted to throw out for Left 4 Dead 2 which I think is, like, an all-time great multiplayer experience. Um, I don't know that there's been a better, like, couch co-op shooter since it. And um, obviously, like, that's not a traditional horror game, but it's squarely in the horror genre. Uh, And then I also wanted to give a similar nod to the first season of uh, Telltale's The Walking Dead, which is, again, not a horror game, but it's set in a horror, you know, themed universe. And um, I think that's, like, my favorite... horror horror narrative uh, in games probably, except for my
1: my number one pick, which is going to be Bioshock. Nice. Oh, damn. I really thought you were going to go with Spooky 100 Floors Elevator Escape for the iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) My favorite game. (laughs) I mean, it's my favorite game
0: besides Screensaver with boobs on Steam. That's my, you know... Um, but yeah, so Bioshock, I I think it's probably, like, you know, a fairly unconventional choice. I don't know if, like, you necessarily think of Bioshock when you think horror game, but, like, I don't know what else you're gonna call the original Bioshock, but, like, a horror shooter. Um, it feels very much inspired by, you know... Uh, like, you know, Resident Evil 4 in that way. I think, like, I think, it, it, it obviously it's different perspective and, and it has a different approach to a lot of things, but um, I think it's pretty squarely in that genre. And I think there's no game that's ever given me a, a more, like, satisfying, atmospheric experience than Bioshock. And that atmospheric horror is what really sells it for me. You know, it's like, it's not the moments where you're actually fighting a bunch of splicers all at once. It's the... You hear, like, someone crying off in the distance or, like, you know, you hear, like, the splicer crawling along the ceiling before they jump down on you. Or you know, there's that scene in the beginning of the game where there's, like, you know, the woman who's, like, hanging over her carriage and there's just, like, a gun in it, you know? And, like, there's those kinds of moments where it's just very, like, it just feels so eerie. That, in a way that a lot of other games I don't think nail for me because you feel powerful enough that it's not a run and hide you know like fear factory like that that it's more you're you're constantly creeped out, and like you're always on that trigger finger, you know like you're always ready to shoot the gun, and like you do have to worry about ammo conservation and things like that, so you need to kind of like have your wits about you, and that's always been like what Bioshock really did for me.
1: I respect yeah. that,
2: yeah, agree.
0: So what are you, Thompson? Well, both The Last of Us and Bioshock were going to,
4: like, float around in my head. But uh, I went looking for some games that I may have forgotten. And uh, lo and behold, Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem, 2002 for the GameCube. I fucking love this game. Um, I only got to beat it, like, three years ago. Because um, I-, I played it when I was, like, when it first came out. And it was, like, a rental, you know, blockbuster or something like that. And, you know, I didn't beat it. It's kind of confusing to beat. I kind of needed, like, a little bit of a, a, a help from, from a guide here and there, but... Um, sure. This... I, I mean, Pete, I think I've told you about this. Uh, this is the game that's, mm-hmm. like, designed to fuck with you. Um, so, like, as you're playing, um, you know, like, the volume goes down or your head explodes or, like, you shrink or you... You, you know, like, enemies are there, but they're not really there because then the screen flashes and you're fighting nothing. Like, it has... It's has got at least 50 different ways to make you think that you're not in control of what's actually happening. Like, it'll turn off the game, like, for maybe 10 seconds, but it's still playing in the background as you're getting, like, chomped on by enemies. Um, It combines that, like, Eldritch horror shit that I really love, you know, like, Cthulhu-esque setting. Sure. And it does it right, which is impossible, practically. The mere aspect of trying to, like, personify Cthulhu stuff into monsters is, like, inherently wrong, right? Because it's supposed to be something that your mind can't fathom and see, so the game actually does that by having you go crazy. So, like, that's fucking great. Plus, it's a game where you have magic, and, like, you have to create your own magic. You don't just throw a fireball. You have to, you know, there's, like, three or four settings for each, um... There's, like, three colors of magic, and each one does a different thing if it's combined in a different color order, or, you know, three of the same, or whatever. And there's, like, fucking, like, 30, 40 spells or some shit? Game's, like, incredibly hard, but super rewarding with an amazing story, and, like, it just... Keeps you on edge the whole game, you know. You never feel like you're actually able to conquer what's coming up. You know, like every boss. Even if you have like all, like you know, thirty shotgun shells and like forty, you know, um, handgun bullets, and like you start even have the machine gun, and it's just like you still feel like, oh, this this guy's gonna fuck me up, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And like that's what I like about the Resident Evil series. But that's the only reason I didn't pick Resident Evil Four. Because, like, I always felt like I was one step ahead of the enemies in that game. Like, no matter how hard it got, I was like, I got this, you know? But Eternal Darkness just, like, put me on edge, like, the whole game. But I fucking love that game. I highly recommend it.
0: Nice! I wonder, uh, maybe it'll, maybe it'll eventually come to uh, the Switch Virtual Console, huh? Nah, man. <laughs> no no way. Please. <laughs> that game's dead. I no, you don't think this for... obscure-ass horror game from 2002
4: is gonna get a re-release? But it has, like, incredibly good reviews, you know? Like, people who... Have played it like love this game, you know. It's, yeah, it's like it's, it's like su- it's like a, such like uh, it's like a cult classic, you know, movie kind of thing, but just for a video game.
1: Nice, cool, cool, cool. Um, can I throw in a quick honorable mention?
0: A quick <laughs> no. h- honorable mention. A quick yes. honorable
1: mention. Um, I really think, and there's going to be a lot of pushback on this one, but okay, it's a game go. that horrifies me. Animal Crossing is a great <laughs> depiction of the quiet horror of suburban life. You go into a bunch of (laughs) debt for a house you don't need. You end up doing menial tasks for your neighbors to pay off that debt. It's just a never-ending cycle of like, oh, you finally paid off your house. I guess you better have, you know, this, what's the word, expansion put on it. Don't you want to keep up with the Joneses? Yeah. (laughs) Except in this case, the Joneses are cute alligators. Yeah. I mean, to me, that sounds like heaven, but hey, teach his own.
0: <laughs> uh So that's actually a perfect segue for
1: the news. The news we talking about the news. The news. The news we talking about the news. All right, so we've
0: got a packed news list this week. Seven items on it, and uh, we're gonna kick things off with perhaps the biggest story this week, uh, which is we finally got a Nintendo Direct dedicated to the long teased Animal Crossing mobile game. So, Animal Crossing Pocket Camp is going to become an iOS and mobile devices sometime near the end of November, and uh, as an Animal Crossing fan from way back, I got to say, I think this looks really promising. Um, Pocket Camp, uh, basically, we got, uh, you know, a full direct about it. We'll link down to, um, they have they put out this little, like, mini thing that just kind of catches you up on the highlights, but, you know, um, it looks just like you'd expect your, like the next Animal Crossing to look like, so I I definitely think, like getting your first look at it is something that is pretty um, surprising. Like, how much it actually looks like an Animal Crossing game versus the previous mobile offerings that we've seen from Nintendo. Fire Emblem Um, felt like a Fire Emblem game. It feels like a Fire Emblem game, but it didn't look like one. Like, it looked like a mobile version of Fire Emblem. Like, this just straight up looks like Animal Crossing. Okay. Which is pretty crazy. That's, Um, yeah. I mean, right? Like, just looking at the screenshots of it and seeing some of the video in action, like, yeah. It it just straight up looks like a a full-fledged animal crossing game, which is crazy. Um so we did get full details about what the game's like. Uh Pocket Camp will see players managing their own campsite which uh in traditional animal crossing fashion can be like fully customized. Uh you can add buildings, different furniture, you know, kind of create your own whole setup there. Um however, in a first for the series, items are going to be able to be crafted. Through uh, collectibles, which can be earned by exploring nearby recreation sites, which I'm not really sure what those are, but I guess it's just, like, nearby areas to your actual campsite. Uh, Doing favors for your neighbors, and so on. And then um, different animals are going to have different furniture preferences, so you'll see different villagers based on, you know, kind of, like, the way that you set up your space. Uh, which also plays into a new feature, uh, which is called friendship levels, which allow you to gauge your relationship with the different villagers, and then, like, kind of impacts how likely they are to come visit your space. Um, so players can also pay for uh, in-game items via a microtransaction system. Um, they, like, uh, the they're called leaf tickets, and they can be earned from those things I said just by playing the game naturally, um, but then you can also purchase them with real-world money. And uh, they can be used to like do things like speed up the time it takes to build something, uh, to buy items or resources, or to get like special items that trigger in-game events. Like, um, there are apparently two different chairs that you can buy that'll make, like, popular characters like Tom Nook or K.K. Slider show up. Uh, and then there's also going to be multiplayer features that allow you to exchange ID numbers and check out uh, each other's campsites and, like, you know, trade items and stuff like that. And then... A- bunch of classic Animal Crossing features are are also going to be returning, like fishing, bug catching, uh, home design, all that stuff's going to be back. Uh, though, instead of having a house, you have, like, a little camper. And instead of owing money to Tom Nook, you owe it to these, like, trio weird penguin brothers. So, we got a new uh, slumlord in town, I guess.
1: <laughs> Telling you, man. It's a horror game. Dressed up like Farmville Animals Edition. That's what, so it's... Human Farm? <laughs> <laughs> soil and Green Farms, yes. Awesome.
0: Um, so yeah, I have to say, I'm hugely excited for this. I think I might be the only Animal Crossing person in the room, but like, I fucking, I love Animal Crossing, and I feel like it as a series is really well suited to um, a mobile environment like this. The idea of like something that you jump in and jump out and play for maybe 15 minutes a day, uh, and then come back when your timers are up, like. That sounds like that could be really good. And granted, like, I don't know if this is going to do anything for me. I'm not a big mobile guy, and, like, as much as I enjoyed Fire Emblem Heroes, I played it for a few weeks and then moved on. So I don't know if I see this being something that regularly is, like, in my rotation, but I could see it
1: being a fun little holdover until I get the real Animal Crossing game I'm waiting for. I am really happy for you. It looks like Nintendo's done a good job of translating what works well about Animal Crossing to a mobile space? I think so. And while it's, it's not for me, and probably never will be, if Animal Crossing's the thing you're into, this looks like it's going to be right up your alley. I know my sister's also really excited about it. I only got one more question, though, is when are we getting Viva Piñata mobile? Yes. Don't
0: joke.
2: Please.
1: Be still my heart.
0: Now i would kill for another Viva Piñata game anywhere.
4: I'm going to take a note of Sean's book and say I have absolutely no interest in Animal Crossing, nor I ever will and um i think it's it's just like weird (laughs) i don't know why you want to like put yourself into debt and like servitude to another like you know person and just like (laughs) that doesn't sound like fun to me i don't know
0: (laughs) so i uh i'm actually really excited though because thompson uh I, he has to do an Animal Crossing Let's Play with me. I already I, know. I, I got i got his girlfriend to leverage their relationship against him to do animal to play Animal Crossing with me. So keep your eyes peeled for in doing. Blood. It. So it's okay. Uh, I, she wrote it on Facebook, which is like
1: way more important. So, so I'll just delete it. it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna delete Wait, my
1: Facebook. Bye, Thompson. What we have you recorded on this podcast talking about how much you enjoy Berserk, and you're gonna say Animal Crossing is weird. Whoa, Andy!
0: <laughs> oh, please, Jesus yeah! Christ. All the all
1: the weird shit that you like. I'm gonna
0: make you wait, come around wait, on Animal wait. Crossing. We'll see.
1: <laughs> How do you not like Berserk? Like, have you even tried? You haven't, have you? God, this is not the anime pals.
0: Take it up with Marco. Speaking Where's of new friend? announcements, where the hell is my friend? <laughs> Speaking of new announcements, Shin Megami Tensei 5 has been revealed. Uh, during a live stream last week, Atlas debuted the trailer for the game, which confirms that it's going to be set in modern day Tokyo and is coming exclusively to the Nintendo Switch. So we don't have much to go on here, but I'm going to turn this over to Ando because uh, you're a big dork.
1: So what do you think? Um, first, fuck you. Second, <laughs> fuck yes. Third, <laughs> can't wait. Fourth,. I just needed a fourth one to put here so I can get to fifth. Give me Persona Five on Switch. Yep. It's <laughs> Fair enough.
2: Very solid points.
1: I can't wait. It looks like it looks like a Shin Megami Tensei game, which is basically all I want out of it. So it's not much of a trailer, though. Yeah, no, it's like only marginally more meaty than the teaser that was in the uh, the January Switch presentation.
0: Yeah, yeah, not not too much to go on here, but um, I, I would imagine we'll hear more about it, you know, probably sooner than later, maybe in uh, the next Nintendo Direct that's not focused around, um, you know, one specific thing. Next time they give their kind of, like, state of the games address, yeah. I'm sure we'll hear more about oh, this Oh, yeah, then. for sure. And then get that Persona 5 announcement. This is big, though. I, I think, like, you know, we talked about Xenogears Gears uh, being kind of the big meaty JRPG that the Switch needs, like... I think this is probably going to, you know, probably speak to more people than that, even because, you know, Atlas, yep. the Atlas tribe is fucking strong. Yeah, we are. I <laughs> mean, we are that's, legion. <laughs> it's true.
4: But like, the thing is, if you put it on the Switch, you'll you'll get even like more people on like for Persona 5, you know, like that way, like Andy's saying. So it's just like... Uh, yeah,
0: I mean, I, f- I feel like both of those games would do really well there, though. I mean, Shin Megami Tensei has a, you know, a lineage with the 3DS and does really well there and like i feel like these games like will get eaten up by the switch marketplace just because like everything is selling super well on the switch right now and if you can get out if you can be one of the only big third party like games out there like you're going to do gangbusters true that so yeah this is a, this is an exciting one more on that in the weeks to come i am positive so uh, before we mo- move on to some more new news, we've got some updates around some of last week's biggest stories. Uh, starting with the thing I am least excited to talk about, which is updates around the pieces we covered on sexual assault in the industry. So David Ballard, who is the former Naughty Dog employee who alleged he had been sexually assaulted by a former boss, responded by the outpouring, or responded to the outpouring of support that he received uh, after going public on his Twitter last week. So David wrote, "Thank you, everyone." Uh, who have reached out with love, support, and questions. I appreciate you believing in me. For people's safety, I will not publicly name the persons involved. I gave the name to the individual who sexually harassed me to SCEA, which is Sony Computer Entertainment America. Um now Sony Interactive Entertainment, Human Resources, and it was their responsibility to pursue the appropriate course of actions. Federal and state discrimination claim timelines have been expired for my case, therefore no legal action can be made. My hope is that this account of my experience give others awareness about sexual harassment in the workplace and the ability to not stay silent. I also hope to heal from this all and regain my dignity and respect. Thank you, David Ballard. So, you know, obviously there's not much here i know we talked about this last time we you know we said that we thought that there would be more developments we thought that there might be um you know some legal action it appears that that is not possible for david um so i just kind of wanted to give this update and again you know uh give him our support and um you know just you know i just shine a light on this one where we can you know and uh and say that it's it's not all right and you know we we can do better
2: yeah, people are saying that it's starting to become more and more common. It's not. It's just becoming more and more apparent. It's coming more and more uh, in the limelight. And it's sad and, and you know, it, it's really sad that it's happening at all. But now that we're seeing just how pervasive this problem is, the hope is that it's going to get better and that people are now going to realize what they should have known this entire time is to not do this, that it's not okay, that you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be sexually harassing anyone or sexually assaulting anyone. That should be common sense. But unfortunately, we live in a world where that's very clearly not.
0: Yeah, especially when you're leveraging a position of power, like in a workplace like that, where you're somebody's boss, or, you know, somebody who can threaten their career, you know, and, and even if you're not like, assaulting them you know that you're like pressuring them or or putting them in a situation where they're not able to uh, you know not able to have autonomy like that's that's disgusting behavior and it's that's it's got to stop and um, you know I I I applaud David for speaking out about this and you know I hope he gets you know the help that he needs and he's able to you know move on and, and move past from this uh, this situation and get back to what he loves to do, which is making games. So we wish him the best. All right, and then we also got an update uh, around Tyval Elor Malka, who is the uh, owner of NeoGAF, who has finally released a public statement regarding the uh, sexual assault allegations against him and the future of the NeoGAF forums. So uh, this is uh, in a post on NeoGAF called The State of NeoGAF. Hi. An allegation of sexual misconduct has been made against me by an ex. It's not true. The individual making the accusation isn't credible, the story doesn't reconcile logically with the facts, and there's plenty of evidence and witnesses to, corro- to corroborate that. It'll be a process. All allegations of this nature are serious, of course. I, got, I first got word of it on Wednesday when a screenshot of a Facebook post was handed to vote, uh, which is, I guess, one of the moderators. I immediately talked with my mod team about the contents of the screenshot and clarified that it was baseless and explained some of the details concerning my former associations with her and tried to ensure any concerns from the team were addressed fully and transparently to everyone's satisfaction. On Thursday, I heard that she had deleted the accusation from Facebook and wasn't entirely sure how to proceed from there or how this would all play out in the public space at that point. Then, Friday morning, the screenshot made its way to NeoGap and chaos ensued. I was in the process of writing a statement that entire day to address formally, to address formally address the allegation. That's a typo. But the community had erupted in a flash that morning. While the moderation team was trying to restore the peace, accusations and threats concerning the screenshots started shifting to them as well as by association with me. Okay. And I was asked by my team to do something to fix things and to get the heat off of them at least. I was beyond exhausted by that point, though, stretched too thin in the time since the post had first appeared, and seeing unprecedented events uh, events unfold on NeoGAF. I was slow and weak. I failed to handle it quickly enough, and I let the team down. Before I could finish a statement and get it out there, understandably, some mods hit their emotional limit, expressed concerns about the community coming after them, and decided to leave. A few people resigned, and many more quickly followed for similar reasons, citing stress and harassment. The site started breaking under load spikes leading up to the first resignations too, and then flatlined altogether, so issuing a statement at that time on NeoGAF itself became impossible for the time being, and my attention shifted toward the moderation team's future. Since that whole mess, lasting from Friday morning through Saturday, before we formally went offline for maintenance and repair and restructure, we've been trying to figure out the best course of action for NeoGAF going forward. And as stories began being published by various outlets, I issued some comments to the press, since everything coming out was proving to be sensationalized, opportunist, and unprofessional. We've all become increasingly stressed and weary this year in ways I'm not accustomed to by now. And discussions on heated news, political issues, and social issues on the off topic side of the site have become areas no one has wanted to moderate in open fear of backlash or general exposure to the inevitable toxicity. I've gone in there to handle myself. I've gone in there myself to take on the heat since it's very much my responsibility to do so before anyone else's. But there's been little headway, mostly just more anger and resentment and a lot of bans. I don't think this necessarily reflects on our community, more of the tone of the entire internet this year. And in regards to heated issues. That's all going to inform the way for NeoGAF as we refocus on what the main goal is supposed to be for the site. The mod team will talk about more specifics on uh, on what that will entail below. One last thing. The NeoGAF mod team here is for the for this community, all of you. You have no obligations to respect me or believe anything I say about my personal life one way or another. But if you're going to be here and participate on NeoGAF, respect the mod team by following the rules and behaving. The team is diminished at the moment, and the folks who, stu- who stuck around care very much about this community and its future. Be considerate of them. That's non-negotiable. Thanks. Well, that was a lot. Whew. Yeah, he certainly had a lot to say there. So, any... Any thoughts on what, on what, uh, what's being said here?
4: Well, I haven't really kept up with this story or really knew much about it until right now. But, I mean, I, I guess, I guess he's being honest or I don't, I can't tell, like, um, what is, what was he like charged with 100% like?
0: Oh yeah yeah so you you missed it last week um basically, there was an allegation of of sexual assault from somebody that uh, I guess he was allegedly involved in right uh, involved with right. and um <clears throat> I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty right, of, right. of the accusations. You know, if you are really interested, you can go find that out for yourself. I think that's beyond the scope of the conversation. But then after that came out, the enti- like a bunch of the moderation team quit in solidarity against him. Okay. And this is his first public uh, response to that. All right. And um, it has since come out as well. Uh, I should add this for context uh, that in the past – he has also had allegations of sexual assault come up and it was, like, public knowledge. He admitted uh, that during a trip to Spain a few years ago that he um had bought a woman a drink and she somehow insulted him or was trying to, like, he felt she was trying to get a drink from him for free so he, like, you know, grabbed her ass and, like, you know, made, like, a, a scene of it and said that, you know... I the The big quote out of that that really fired people up was that you know he said she thought twice about making me a mark so um obviously this kind of stuff is you know yeah. it's something he's been accused of in the past and something that he's admitted that he's done it's mighty fishy so I, right so i don't i don't know if that colors this statement for for some people but i think that's it's worth uh, including that entire context because uh, it's public knowledge um so i mean at this point you know, there's not much to go on here. It's still kind of a he said, she said thing. But, you know, I don't necessarily I don't necessarily have a lot of confidence in this statement because yeah. oh, a yeah. lot of the mods who left said they were leaving because of the allegations, not because they were stressed out and people were hating on them. So it seems like he's kind of trying to twist this and defend himself.
4: Yeah, well, he sounds like he's very good from this incredibly long statement uh, at uh, deflecting into, like, every possible avenue that's literally not him, so... I don't know, it seems like an incredibly defensive statement, which, uh, he might be guilty, I don't know.
0: (laughs) That being said, if he is innocent, he would be defensive, right?
4: I know, but, you know, if there's allegations of the past and all that, that does color for me, at least.
3: The the thing is, though, that this is, these things that he's being Mm -hmm. accused of, all of that, it's all awful, uh, but what's his what's his obligation what was his obligation as far as making this post his obligation is to this website and he says he didn't do it he says it's 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 and it's not a credible acu- credible accusation what's sure. he gonna say you know so it's it's all what we expect uh what I find interesting is that when you scroll down through this page um where he did post uh, and then all the other pa- the other pages in this thread, there are so many people who were Yeah, banned. yeah, you can just see um, right underneath and, the
0: names, it shows all the people who've been yeah. banned, and they're still banning people left and right, apparently.
3: And An unbelievable amount of people banned. Some of them, obviously, sure. trolls, whatever, but so, also some of them just saying, you know, I'm, I don't support this, or, you know, this isn't good enough for me, or I'm out of here, or whatever, that are just getting banned. And that makes it look like um, him or the mod team or whatever can't handle the negativity that's being brought their way. Uh, I don't really care about his feelings. But, I I mean, in the sense that, you know, look, he's been accused of this before. That doesn't mean that this is true. I really don't. That's out of the scope of of what I'm here for. Uh, But it's clear that the mods are being dragged through the mud as well and that kind of sucks. To be honest with you, I don't see how this website necessarily yeah, comes back. I like what this. he said at the
4: end um to respect the community uh the mods, you know, for the community and and that's non-negotiable. Yeah. So yeah. if there's anything out of that statement I took that I could believe that would be the the one thing. And and I do respect that too cuz cuz you don't want to get everyone who's worked hard on this shit who is not involved in it, you know, to have to be so stressed out that they need to like quit and, you know, and stuff and
0: Right, yeah, and it's like, the reality of it is not every person knows what was going on.
4: Right, yeah. The ones who were just completely involved are probably sitting there, like, pulling their hair out right now, you know? Sure.
3: It doesn't It doesn't seem like he's the community. It seems, you know, it seems, I don't know a lot about this website, but it seems like they've had a very, sort of, flourishing community for a long time uh, that is filled with <laughs> yeah. trolls, from what I understand, but a community, nonetheless, and, you know, for the people who do love it and the people who enjoy it, I don't see why that should have to go away because the person who happens to uh own or manage the website is an ass. Uh but again, because of this new story and the nature of this thing, I'm sure there are thousands of people who are creating accounts oh, yeah. just to tell him to go fuck himself. So there you go. Yeah, and uh I I think there's definitely you know, you're right, Sean,
0: that like there's Neil Gaff is and has been uh, a really big part of the industry because a lot of stories break out of NeoGAF. You know, there are, like, a lot of deep, deep, you know, um, people who are deep into games flock there, and that's where, like, a lot of times, like, we've reported on stuff that's come out of NeoGAF of people discovering things about, you know, like, uh, the Switch's OS or, like, things like that, the kind of nitty-gritty shit um, that comes out of there, and it would be a shame if we lost that aspect of it, but, you know, I think you're right that, like, you can't really sever NeoGAF from the guy who owns NeoGAF. It's not like the Harvey Weinstein situation where there's, like, a board of directors to vote him out, you know? It's that, like, this community's gonna splinter. There's gonna be people that stay there, and there's gonna be people that go somewhere else.
1: Yeah, and didn't—we talked about it last week—didn't, like, a whole ton of the mods that quit, like, say, hey, we're starting this new site, if you wanna work with us? Yep. Um,
0: a bunch of the former NeoGaf members and moderators have announced a new website called uh, Reset Era. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So that's that's going to be their new their new place. They they see that as they want to kind of bring the community from NeoGaf that you know rejects this and are going to come and you know have a new place and not be associated with GAF at all. So I think um, we'll see how that goes. You know, I'm sure that I can see that being a huge problem. Um, I, I imagine that there will be a lot of people from GAF and, you know, the more... Uh, I'm just going to say it. The more 4 areas of the internet, um, harassing them and, and probably flaming that site to some degree. But... Um, you know, if you're one of the people who are looking, you know, you're you're maybe a person who's on NeoGAF, you want somewhere new to go, uh, you can go follow Reset Era on Twitter and keep up with them. And I know they haven't launched the site yet, but apparently
1: it's supposed to be coming pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to follow them. I was never on NeoGAF, but this whole, like, quasi-apology smells like bullshit to me. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I was never an active NeoGAF user, but I would often uh, troll the threads just to, like, look for news stories and, like, see what, you know, like, what people were talking about. So, um, yeah, hopefully this this new website reset era will be a similar hotbed for those kinds of news stories, um, but with a little less toxicity, ideally. Yeah, hopefully. But we shall see. That we shall. So, uh, keeping in line with Total Bummers, we have, uh, another massive update around the closure of Visceral Games and the cancellation of Uncharted director-slash-writer Amy Hennig's project with the team. Uh, Kotaku's Jason Trier, a.k.a. what an actual video game journalist looks like, wrote a simply phenomenal piece titled The Collapse of Visceral's Ambitious Star Wars Game. It is thousands of words, uh, it dives deep into this fucking story, It ha- it's super well-sourced, like, Jason's a fucking all-star, so like doing anything but like reading this article in its entirety would be like doing yourself a disservice so like i strongly recommend you go read it for yourself uh and digest it really take it take the time to read this if you're interested in this story because like this is like the real shit this is the kind of story that really doesn't usually get told um so This is a conversational podcast, though, and not all of us have read it, so I'm going to read the small excerpt that Jason shared on Twitter uh, when he shared it, so we can all have a jumping-off point just to kind of discuss this, because it flies in the face of what we discussed last week uh, about Visceral Games and and what we thought was happening, at least to a degree. Um, So just for context, uh, the name of this Untitled Project was apparently Ragtag, so that's going to be used throughout here, so you just need to know that. So uh, Jason captures the image. This is the story behind the collapse of Visceral's ambitious Star Wars game. So that's the article. But the story behind Ragtag is more complicated than critics and pundits have assumed. And the project was more troubled than EA has admitted publicly. Among game developers, it's been an open secret for months that Visceral's game was in danger. The studio had been bleeding staff for years, and recruiters across the video game industry exchanged, whis- exchanged whispers about Visceral employees who were looking for new work, according to several people who have shared of these rumors with me over the past couple of years. Over the past week, I've talked to nearly a dozen former Visceral employees who worked on Ragtag, all of whom spoke anonymously because they did not want to risk damaging their careers. I've also spoken to several other developers who are tangentially connected to Visceral. They all share similar stories. Ragtag was a project sunk by many factors, including a lack of resources, a vision that was too ambitious for its budget, a difficult game engine, a director who clashed with staff, a studio located in one of the most expensive cities in the world, a reputation for toxicity, multiple conflicts between Visceral and EA, and what can only be described as the curse of Star Wars.
1: I like how he puts all these, like, substantive things in and then the curse of Star Wars.
0: It's funny because he ties that back to that 1313 project that yeah. was kicking around for uh, years before it got cancelled. Exactly. Yeah, so like there's this whole narrative there that is surprisingly similar to what seemed to have go down there. Um so yeah, I mean like this totally flies in the face of a lot of what we were talking about last week. Uh that this was being pivoted because they wanted it to be a games as service game um, you know, something more similar to Destiny or something like that, something where they could make more money because the financials didn't add up. But I think this points to more what Sean was saying, was that, you know, maybe there's just a little bit more behind
1: the scenes that we just didn't know. You know? I hate it when other people are right, but good job, Sean, you called it.
3: <laughs> <sighs> uh I mean, you know, there's nothing to take credit for here. This sucks. It's not fun at all to hear that there were these kinds of things happening behind the scenes at the studio uh but I do think that it it sort of it sort of is a learning opportunity whereby you go, okay, we can't take these things on their faces and we need this kind of reporting to give us the full story and you know to be honest it's it's not even necessarily our business, but it does. It does help in a sense because it changes the narrative away from, oh, they're right. just greedy bastards, you know. Uh, now, now that we have a fuller understanding, hopefully, that does take some of the pressure off of them and kind of tweaks the way that we're talking about the conversation surrounding games and services because this is not an example. This of is that. the
2: same guy who actually did that same type of story for Mass Effect: Andromeda's Fall as well where yep. he outlined basically the same reasons that it was too big of a uh too big of a vision, not enough of a budget, um a really difficult game engine was very specifically announced. Um bad
0: timetable.
2: Bad timetable and just like basically the the same formula just Star Wars instead of instead of Mass Effect. So we're seeing the same sort of formula come to the same tragic end at least in terms of of those two stories. So yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's interesting because I don't know if that's, like, an EA problem or if it is, like, you know, a Visceral problem, right? Like, if Visceral was losing people and, you know, it sounds like Amy was having trouble getting along with the team, like, these are all things that could have easily been out of EA's hands and they just hit a point where they're like, we've sunk enough money into this. You know, like, this is this is a train wreck and it's time to just cut our losses. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it, it's a great read. It's it's really something that if you haven't checked it out, you really should. Um, it, it's it's phenomenal work. You know, Jason is is uh the best in the business as far as this stuff is concerned. Um, also there was one little other wrinkle here that I wanted to bring up was that like uh I know we talked about we were referencing an article from Polygon when we talked about this last week. Um, from uh, Samit Sakar, and one of the things that we had kind of discussed was that um, you know first party uh, studios are not necessarily held to the same standards because generally like the impetus of those games is to move hardware, not to sell units. And uh, Jason actually wrote that in the article, and he got a response from Neil Druckmann from uh, Naughty Dog that I thought was pretty interesting. So he highlighted a sentence that says, Uncharted's, Uncharted's sales revenue wasn't as important as its ability to help sell Sony Playstations, to which Neil Druckmann replied, false. With a screenshot of that being highlighted. <laughs> so Jason updated nice. the article. Uh I just thought that was that was a little funny yeah. and um interesting just because we did talk about that. So maybe that's not always the case. But obviously the met barrier for success is different for those games than it is for uh third party games. So that that remains true, whether or
3: not the reasoning is the same. I would say I would say that's true, and I would also say that uh it is possible for different games to have different expectations as far as how many units are going to sell, whether it's third party or first party or whatever. And uh, as it relates to this specific game, I think this, if anything, this definitely outlines how the the industry has changed as it relates to putting games out, and how much more pressure there is on developers than ever before to get it absolutely right, and how that can sort of change the culture yes. of a team yeah. because mm. of how tough it is, you know? 10 years ago, 15 years ago, this game yeah. gets made.
0: No, you're totally, you're totally right, John. And I think you don't need to look any further than, like, what, you know, the trajectory of what they're most known for, right? Visceral made the Dead Space games. And back in the time of Dead God. Space, there was a two-year, three-year gap between games like that. Now these games take four, five, six years to make. They cost five times as much money. They require hundreds of people. Oh, please, like hundreds, thousands
4: sometimes, man.
0: Yeah, right, right. And if you have a talent drain, you have a director who's clashing with the studio that she's working with and the studio clashing with the publisher, it's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it's, it's just a shame. It's a shame because this game seemed, so like, the idea of it, the, the proof of concept, the promise of what this was supposed to be, was so exciting to me, and it's, it's just a shame that it's another one of those games that we'll just, you know,
1: we'll never get to see. It's, like, it's a real shame that as Star Wars has sort of come back to life as a property, like, the video games where it lived during the prequel era, and, like, continued to grow, and, like, made Star Wars still matter, even when the movies sucked, are fallen by the wayside.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I I definitely uh I think it's because of this problem we're seeing with how tough it is to make a single player story driven game like that and they used to just be cheaper. They used to be an easier sell and that used to be what drove the industry.
1: Yep. And like I also want to going back to Neil Druckmann's tweet. Uh uh-huh. I, ju- I just I just want to like suggest the possibility not that he's lying. But that he maybe read the like Uncharted didn't have to sell as well as like a knock on Uncharted and got defensive. Maybe, but I don't as if he's if he's just responding with false. Yeah, that's like a little combative. If there's a conversation that happens there, maybe.
0: Yeah, I definitely it does seem combative, but I could definitely see that just because it's you know it's one of those things where like I I've been. The journalist who makes the mistake like that, you know, where you write something that's just not true and you're reporting it as fact, and like, yep.
2: he I've made the mistake. he too. has yep. every
0: right to be mad, you know, like mm-hmm. Jason made a mistake, and you know, is what it is. It's funny though, because like speaking to how you said, right, like it does come off as very combative. Jason replied, and he goes, "Thanks, Neil. We'll tweak. Uh, hope you enjoyed the rest of the story. Feel free to hit me up privately if you need anything in the future." <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> the shade. Which I thought was, the I thought was funny.
0: Um, and there was one more tweet from him in this thread that I did want to uh, touch on because a lot of people are looking at uh, his line of, quote, a director who clashed with staff. Uh, to Here, there's actually a tweet right here uh, that's from Twitter user at Genesis 0600 uh, who wrote, quote, a director who clashed with staff. Huh. So it wasn't actually Druckmann, but Amy. So those of you who are, like, followers of Uncharted, uh, Amy Hennig was previously a part of Naughty Dog. She had a pretty famous, like, falling out with some of the other creatives at the company that she had worked with and left to go do this project. So a lot of people are kind of taking this to be like, oh, see, Amy's hard to deal with. She's hard to work with. So uh, Jason replied saying, people are complicated. There are no cartoon villains or heroes. There are always multiple perspectives on
1: every conflict. Hey, that's a lie. Batman's a cartoon hero and the Joker's a cartoon villain. (laughs) You fucker! <laughs> <laughs>
0: and Brown,
4: <laughs> bring that special sauce.
0: So I, I thought I that was—I uh, thought that was a good note to end it on. Unless anybody has any other thoughts about this, so somebody make a good Star Wars game. That's
1: my only thought. Somebody, and go read Jason's article. It's good. Also, read everything he writes because yeah, it's all good. Seriously, he, like a lot of the stuff I've read by him, I really liked because it's right up my alley. Like he really loves JRPGs, but. Mm-hmm. Like, his reporting's good. His long-form just opinion pieces on, like, these are why I play games are, like, beautiful.
0: Yeah, he um, he literally
1: just wrote a piece that was on the front page of the New York
0: Times about uh, industry burnout and stuff like that. Like, he's a G. Like, he is yeah. the greatest at what he does in this industry. So, like, regardless of your feelings about Kotaku, which are just, you know, most people who hate Kotaku are idiots anyway, but uh,
1: check out Jason's stuff. Jason is a great writer. Jason's a great writer. Read Jason's review of Final Fantasy 15. That's the piece I'm going to plug. Fair enough. He also where has a new book like... out. <laughs> oh, does he? He does. It's called Blood, Sweat, and Pixel.
4: Let's invite him
0: on the show. That's the part of the show where I stop plugging Jason Schreier shit for no reason. <laughs> I really <laughs> like, him like him so much, Pete.
1: <laughs> I'd love to have him on the show. He's a fucking smart guy. Well, ask him. What do we, we got to lose? Our dignity? <laughs> no, I mean. That implies that we had Dignity at some point, so... Yeah, seriously. You think I have Dignity?
4: I do a (laughs) podcast for free.
1: Come on. And like
4: Berserk. (laughs) Ugh, exactly. I like anime. (laughs) You are weep trash.
0: So finally, we've got one more update from last week. Uh, There was a detail from the Switch's 4.0 update that went totally unreported until Twitter Twitter user at MasterMewKing discovered that the GameCube adapter is now fully compatible with every game on the Switch. Um, although there is a little caveat, it can take a little bit of fiddling to get it working, uh, and then because of the controller's, uh, layout, obviously there's no home button and, like, ZL commands don't work, so, like, your mileage may vary on how well you can use it for certain games, but it does work with every game on the Switch. So, as you might imagine, uh, this news got people excited for the announcement of, you know, GameCube ports on the Virtual Console, which has been long rumored, or a Smash 4 port, um, but, uh, we did get word from Nintendo that kind of squashes those hopes, revealing that the GameCube controller support was just as much of a surprise to them as it was to us. <sighs> so, while speaking... Good job. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. They so, built Pandora's box. The
4: further they look, they find more things about it. Exactly. It's, it's evolving over time. <laughs> it's learning. It's out of their control. They don't even know it could do this. As the Switch becomes sentient. This week's topic of the show. I hope they're trying to sell enough worldwide so it creates a Skynet. That's the only Skynet I'll
0: ever take if it's a Switch uh, Switch Skynet. (laughs) I, for one, welcome our new Nintendo overlords.
2: (laughs) I would. New? Nintendo
0: overlords, Pete. Come on. Nintendo overlords. So anyway, while speaking with Steven Totillo uh, from Kotaku, Nintendo of America's president, Reggie fils had this to say. And our latest software update enables third-party peripherals to work on Nintendo Switch. As a result, <coughs> the peripheral for Wii U that allows it to GameCube controllers also works. Of course, there's nothing to announce on this. I think it's fair to say, Steven, that that peripheral was as much of a surprise to us as it was to consumers.
2: Wow. I fucking
0: love Reggie. Okay. I love, I love yeah. how he calls the reporter by his first name. It's like, Steven, <laughs> we're buddies. I can tell you we didn't know about this he's uh
2: (laughs) my my dude
4: he's an amazing um you know pundit for nintendo like the way he just sells the product and sells the job (laughs) and everything about it you know he seems to be happy where he works and he shows it you know
1: we are big reggie fans here i'm pretty sure if like nintendo asked reggie to commit virtual suicide he would for the good of the company if reggie could give his blood to fix the nintendo switch supplies i think he would
0: I know, he's a giving man, that's what I'm trying
4: to say.
3: So on the on the subject of the subject um, <laughs> um This is this is disappointing, but it's not surprising. Uh when I first heard this I was shocked because it's like, wait, why? Why now? With no right. smash announced, which is the only reason that anyone mm-hmm. is really caring about the GameCube controller being usable here. Um, it's just very strange, so, once I found out that this wasn't a real thing, or, not, not that it's not a real thing, but that they themselves didn't intend this, it just, it's like, okay, yeah, of course. It's such a Um,
0: hype-slaying moment, like, you're like, oh shit, oh shit, and then it's just like, ah, no, it's just shit, like. I I mean, um, could
2: it have really been an oh shit, oh shit moment when you were like, there's nothing... There's no way. There's right. there's no way. It was such like a. I feel like it was such a false positive moment. You're like, I don't know what's happening here, but I'm gonna be disappointed. I don't know what's happening, <laughs> but there's a ruse. The wrinkle. Th- I don't know what it is. <laughs> there's a ruse going but on it's here.
4: Honestly, I felt the same way. The like ruse? I didn't have any hype for this. I was just like, I don't really think this is a real thing until I hear games. You know, like yeah.
2: I. Yeah. So it's like, where's the onion art?
4: I thought maybe it was like you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, that's what I was saying, I was it's like, maybe, maybe somebody at Nintendo, like, wasn't paid to do it, was like, well, I'm gonna add GameCube chose to port, haha, and, like, did it, and, like, they <laughs> had no fucking clue, right, so like, this is all just a big joke, and, like, it turns out that they didn't even know, so, that's, you know, so, it's, like, weird, but, like, it's such you know, an interesting cool. maybe, story. <laughs> maybe they weren't, like, you know, maybe they are just like, well, now I don't have to work on that, so,
2: good job. <laughs> I mean, also, at least they're being honest about it, too, yeah, like, absolutely. I'm happy about that. Because and were... at least they're not keeping our hopes up about it. At least they're oh, just yeah. like, yeah, no, we really, like, hey, honestly, guys, we don't care.
4: Beef squash. <laughs> <laughs> like, nope. Yeah, it's like, we're not going to do this. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's like, you know <laughs> yeah. what? I
2: appreciate you cutting my entire hopes and dreams as, as, uh, precisely as you can. So thank you for that. Despite, you know, that. We're just not
0: going to let us dangle.
2: Yeah, right? It's like, okay, I can respect that. Can't respect the fact that you're not giving any, any attention to smash but hey thank you all in
1: good time my friend i'm i'm
0: gonna argue for the i agree
1: um i think that nintendo didn't think anyone was gonna find it and this is ceaseless optimist andy brown coming but like mario odyssey's out what's on nintendo's plate now like what's coming up for the switch yep yeah. Third parties. L- there's, and
0: there's little things, right? Like, we've got, like, yeah. Yoshi and Kirby, but, like, the big marquee shit,
1: they need yeah. a punch. Like, like, they got three and a half, four, like, solid B-list franchises coming out on right. the Switch next year. We got a Fire Emblem coming out. We got Yoshi. We got Kirby. We got maybe Metroid, if it's ready? We'll see. But, like, we saw so little of that besides, uh, you Logo. know. Logo? Logo, yeah. <laughs> hey, it's Metro. They stole the show, man. It's crazy. Yeah, but like, that's it's got to be somewhere, right?
2: Maybe nope. it's optimist, but maybe maybe it's optimism that you can say maybe this put the idea in their head. I don't think they have the idea oh i to definitely do this.
0: i i yeah I totally think that this is like I'm with Andy where I think this is an inevitability, I don't think that this was a signifier of that necessarily, but I think smash hmm. on switch is a foregone conclusion smash
2: oh no yeah
3: that that's not but that's not like a th- that isn't that's obvious i mean the, i the, mean the... smash four specifically.
0: Oh, Smash yeah, Four! Yeah, like I On think we're Switch. getting like oh. I think that they're gonna port Smash for Nintendo Switch. Like I think that's gonna oh, be. Man. I think that I think we're getting that for sure. That
3: that's that you want to talk about disappointment because. <laughs> because it's we've had we've been we've lived with smash 4 for a while already it's a great game but if you're gonna port that game then how far out is smash 5 and if smash 5 is not far out then what was the reason to port smash 4 yeah so i think for smash 5 is far away i think smash 5 is very far away yeah like and, years. And at at least at least two years out which, you know, is what it is. It's it's sad, but I think that's the reality of the situation.
0: Yeah, I I think that's the case. Like, I, I think personally, I'm with you. I'd say it's even, I'd say Smash 5 might be five years away. Like, oh, it it might I'd be. I'd like
4: to go in the middle here and say about like three and a half, only because I think what they want to do, and this is just crazy thoughts for me, but I think what they want to do is let the Switch have a couple years to solidify, add, add some brand new IPs, you know, to inject into the, like, just get some characters out there, right? Some more franchises and shit. Make a new Smash and involving Switches, like, you know, series that have started in the next two or three years. Get
0: that Squid Kid. So, get one of the ARMS people on there. No, I mean, like... the
2: are, you know, trophy.
0: The, the, things like that, yeah.
4: yeah like, you know, we, we only had, like, one year. Obviously, like, we're still going to have the Marios and Zeldas characters and, like, the traditional, you know, stuff. But, like, brand new stuff that the Switch has been marketed for, I think that that's going to be... um what Smash Five is going to entail, you know, like the like the culmination of a couple years of Switch content, and I so I'm going to say like three and a half years on that.
0: Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you, man. I think the big thing is like you just look at what Nintendo's been doing with the Switch already, right? And like they've been porting over almost the entirety of the Wii U's library, uh, like one game at a time, and or it seems yeah. that way anyway. And I think yeah. to think that they would port like Mario Kart Eight and not port Smash Brothers <laughs> seems crazy to me. Like, I feel like there are so many people who missed out on that game because they didn't bite on Wii U. You know, and, like, it sold well for being a Wii U game, but I feel like I I see them putting out a deluxe version of that Smash, where we get a few new stages, maybe they add one or two more characters, and, you know, um, give us that as kind of a stopgap until Smash 5, which, you know, is maybe... At, like I think, you know, we all agree is at least a few years away, you know, at least. I do, yeah, I do hope we get a Deluxe Smash 4. Or... Um, but the thing that uh, this, to take it back to something that Andy had said before, I think like the thing that made me hopeful that this was a signifier for something was that like, if you guys will remember, when we did a report on the Switch uh, update before, there was the whole thing about how there was USB head, uh, headphone support. And they didn't report that either. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was like, maybe this is a thing that they like snuck in under the wire and they thought nobody would notice. But I don't know. The fact that they commented on it makes me think that that's probably not the case. Any uh, final thoughts on this before we move on? Where's Smash? <laughs> Where is Smash? Where is Smash? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, not technically an update, uh, Bethesda and Machine Games have seemingly responded to the players' fears around the death of single-player AAA games by confirming that Wolfenstein 2 has no multiplayer because it would quote dilute storytelling. So, gamesindustry.biz spoke with Machine Games and narrative designer Tommy Tordson Bjork, Tommy Tordson Bjork, at uh, Gamescom this year, and he had this to say about Wolfenstein. Quote the only way we can create these super immersive narrative experiences is if we focus so if is if we can solely focus on the single player. Having a multiplayer component in this work process would just dilute it all. That's the danger if you try to do two things at once. We just keep our heads together and focus on making a really good single player game. Doing our thing is what makes the game great. so. You know, obviously not too much to go on here. We knew that Wolfenstein 2 was, you know, one of the big single-player story-driven games that we would have this year, but, you know, I thought it was, after all the doom and gloom around last week's main topic, I thought it was nice to get a little uh, statement like that from one of the the people out there still doing it, you know?
1: Yeah, Yeah. like, I I love that they did it, but I also think the quote is kind of silly. What's that? Like, I don't think having a multiplayer component dilutes the storytelling. Like, I don't know. Um,
2: I think focusing too much on the multiplayer component can dilute the storytelling.
1: Yeah, but a lot of these studios that, like, build their games as a big single-player thing first sort of, you know, uh, what sort am I looking for? Contract out, I guess. The multiplayer part so like yeah uh, tomb raider 2013 had a multiplayer component that somebody else made and it didn't dilute the storytelling that's like that's the only thing i'm taking issue with here is maybe it would
4: make you know the game cost more like Pete was saying earlier and 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 like that maybe that wasn't too much for them you know
0: yeah like that takes resources away from developing the the single player campaign
4: you know I just, like, came from a world of video gaming where it was, like, single player, you know, was, like, the thing. Like, multiplayer didn't exist throughout most of, like, my gaming career, you know? And I love it. I love multiplayer, but there is a time and place for it, and I don't see any like, if I ever did get Wolfenstein 2, I got the previous one, Um, I have no desire to ever do multiplayer with that, or anything like those kinds of games, you know? They're not multiplayer games to me. They're story games. And Even, like, The Last of Us, like, it has a multiplayer that's pretty neat, you know, that's got a really interesting, like, tense multiplayer, but, like, it's not... Really?
2: I didn't like the multiplayer. Right, but, like, it's not for me, though,
4: is what I'm saying. You know, it's, like, (laughs) it's good for what it is. It's unique in its own right, and it's just, like, I don't care because, like, it's not The Last of Us, you know? It's not that experience, and... Gotcha. For games, like, especially a first-person shooter, like, that's, you know, not say, like, Call of Duty, Battlefield, one of those kinds, you know, a multiplayer experience, then it's like, I don't expect them to have a story now and have a single player, you know? In the same way, they're like, I don't expect us to have a multiplayer.
0: And and, and Machine Games is a smaller team than Naughty Dog. You know, Naughty Dog is two different development teams, so they can have a backup B team that makes a multiplayer segment, and Machine Games just doesn't have that level
3: of resources. Beyond that, this is also the narrative designer, you know? He's (laughs) gonna speak to that. He he's not he's not the guy making those kinds of decisions. His focus is on the story, so he's going to say something like this. Sure.
2: Good point. Good point.
1: Anyway, ignore me. I'm just doing a law school thing where I like break up the the <laughs> statement into all of its parts and evaluate each of them individually. And that's fine,
4: man. It makes me think. I
0: appreciate yeah, I your you know your uh your take on it. Agreed. Yeah, I mean it definitely uh I mean, hey, somebody's got to keep me on my toes, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what I'm here for. And I've named Peggy my error apparent in saying that water Pokemon suck. So maybe, maybe I'll back off a little bit now that I have a sidekick. Garbage.
2: <laughs> sidekick? Excuse me? i came in a league all my own, thank you. <laughs> I was the OG villain. I just took a couple seasons off. Wow.
4: Damn
1: right. man, you better step Listen, up your game Peggy
2: <laughs> yes, I respect I... your game Thank you
1: But I've been antagonizing Pete since we were 14 <laughs> uh, oh, He's a well, pro in
2: that, in that case I was recurring for a little bit
1: It's like, you ever read that Malcolm Gladwell book About how it takes 10,000 hours to be truly great at something <laughs> Yeah I think I've become truly great at busting Pete's chops
2: <laughs> Well, you know that same book I'm that asshole that does like 100 And then thinks I'm okay <laughs> That's exactly how that hey, works.
1: You're a prodigy.
2: Thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, you sure it. are.
0: <laughs> Alright, so in our final, final news story of the day, before we move on to our meat and potatoes this week, Connect is officially dead. Yay!
2: Hey,
1: But it's tech lives Britain. on. Xbox Damn on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a Kinect plugged in. Uh, I guess the thing we should be saying is Xbox... Uh, I don't think that anybody has their Kinect plugged in anymore. I even <laughs> My so girlfriend's much. dad uses his Kinect pretty frequently. That's pretty cool, I guess. I feel like most people unplug that shit and throw it in a drawer and forgot
0: it existed. Um, So we we did get a pretty great in-depth piece from Mark Wilson over at FastCodesign.com. They got an exclusive with uh, some of the creators of the Kinect. We're not going to get into the whole thing here. If you're interested in it, you can go check it out. But uh, I am going to read his opening paragraphs just because it gives you the nitty-gritty. So, manufacturing of the Kinect has shut down. Originally created for the Xbox 360, Microsoft's Watershed Depth Camera and Voice Recognition Microphone sold... I don't know what this means. He's got a tilde next to 35 million units. It means roughly. about. Oh, okay. So roughly 35 million units since its debut in 2010. But Microsoft will no longer produce it when retailers sell off their existing stock. The company will continue to support Kinect for customers on Xbox, but ongoing developer tools remain unclear. Microsoft shared the news with CoDesign in a exclusive interviews with Alex Kipman, creator of the Kinect, and Matthew Lapson, GM of Xbox Devices Marketing. The Kinect had already been slowly de-emphasized by Microsoft as the Xbox team anchored back around traditional gaming to counter the PS4 rather than take its more experimental approach to entertainment. Yet, while the Kinect as a standalone product is off the market, its core sensor lives on. Kinect V4 and soon-to-be V5 powers Microsoft's augmented reality HoloLens, which Kitman also created. Meanwhile, Kinect's team of specialists have gone on to build essential Microsoft technologies, including the Cortana voice assistant, the Windows Hello uh, biometric facial ID system, and a context-aware user interface for uh, for the future that Microsoft dubs gaze, gesture, and voice, GGV. So, RIP to
3: perhaps the most useless peripheral
0: in all of video games history, the Whoa, Connect, Star Wars Connect Ooh, was there.
3: I don't know about that one, man. There's There are some bad ones, especially if you go back 20, 30 years. Talk about that NES zapper. <laughs> <laughs> some of that stuff was rough. The, I had um, that. The trackpad
2: that for
4: track and field. I had that too. <laughs> this shit was great. Oh my god, I love that thing. Oh my god. I was like like, like five. I used to play that game all the time, man.
3: It's possible that I have a little bit of bias just because I, I don't own an Xbox One or anything. Uh, but the Kinect always struck me as kind of a joke. Uh, and I think that that's probably something that a lot of gamers felt. Um it, it, it seemed to be their desire, and I guess PlayStation did the same thing with the move sure. to ape the success of the Wii. Right. And
2: mm-hmm. it
3: it came across for me most poorly from Xbox just because they seemed like the the antithesis of that kind of thing. And so when they did it it was like, ah come on. Very much a jump to show And then moment. they really doubled down on it and it was like it's right. intrinsic to the Xbox One, it's never off. You and it was like no one liked it. <laughs> no. Like Right. And so, they, uh, then they pulled back, they pulled away from that. Yeah. Because then they stopped bundling it with the Xbox and it was its own thing. Um, so this is not a surprise. No. Probably not, not a surprise to anyone. Um, but as, as it happens with things like this, the technology that went into building it is actually going to carry on and, and um, impact the Xbox now. Um, Which is cool. So that's, yeah, that's great. Friends, nerds, countrymen. I'm not here to praise
1: the Kinect, but to bury it. Um, I'm going to speak in, actually, a, like, a little bit of praise of the Kinect. It's like, if it's not a thing you have to use, and if you want to use the Xbox One as the centerpiece of your home entertainment system, like Microsoft originally intended... It's really fucking cool.
0: Oh yeah, my uh, my cousin's uh family still has one connected to their main Xbox One because they have two yeah. Xbox Ones in their house and um it's it's really cool. It's it's cool to like see it in action, but like I also get why people don't use it. It's
1: yeah, no, absolutely. But like it's really cool to um like run your, you know, cable box HDMI into your Xbox into your TV. So, like, you know, you can do, like, the split-screen picture-in-picture and be playing whatever while you watch a football game in the afternoon. Xbox Sports. Yep. Yeah, (laughs) just just sit down and be like, Xbox, put on Cartoon Network. Yeah, that's good shit. And, like, yeah, maybe it was a a mistake, but I do appreciate Microsoft's risk-taking and, you know, weirdness. Yeah, I mean hey, right? You miss 100% of the shots
0: you don't take. You know, you got to yeah. you got to try shit like this to find what really does work. So, you know,
1: I won't criticize them for trying, but <laughs> now that they're getting back to the baseline and sony's ahead sony will branch out and get weird and then at the end of next generation microsoft will branch out and get weird it's just it's just a cycle
4: stop no nintendo's on top right now the king is good let's like long live the king all right (laughs) let's let's be positive for once the, the
1: beauty of nintendo is that nintendo said i
4: don't want your fucking rat race I know, and so that's why we have a benevolent ruler, finally. Like, it's always a dictator, and they're
0: tyrannical, but at least we have one that's good, you know? Nintendo's just like, yo, take your crown and shove it up your ass. I'm gonna wear a leather jacket and drive in a car across the countryside with my boy band friends.
1: And then throw a hat (laughs) at a dinosaur. Yes, and
0: feed a cat. So we
2: possess that dinosaur.
1: Wait, no, if it's wearing a leather jacket and driving across the country with its boy band friends, that was that a game's Final not Fantasy on the joke. Switch yet. <laughs> not
3: yet.
2: Not yet! Oh, was it? Not yet!
1: It's coming, though. So. Oh, jeez. That's how we get copyrighted. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right so that's gonna pretty much wrap it up for the news uh we're gonna move over into our meat and potatoes which like we teased at the top is going to be peggy's esports report so um basically there's a lot of news going around about esports lately and uh i wanted to ask you peggy what's the deal with big money in esports
2: there's a there's a lot there is a lot of big money in esports. A lot of big monies. Um, so, basically, uh, the main two uh, esports that we're going to be talking about here is uh, League of Legends, specifically the NALCS and the Overwatch League. Uh, mainly, well, you'll you'll see why. So, uh, first off, we're going to go with the Overwatch League. Uh, the Overwatch League has had a lot of developments lately. There's some players being added, as well as some team names. Um, but mainly what we're going to be focused on here uh, are the investors of those teams. Uh, so we are just kind of get right into it for, uh, for Boston. The Boston Uprising is owned by the Kraft Company, who some of you guys know uh, own the American football team, the New England Patriots. Dallas Fuel is owned by NBS. Um, and the name is likely due to a $35 million investment from Hirsch family, Hirsch family investments into NBS, and Hirsch is a well-known in the natural gas and oil business. Oh, huh. Uh, LA Valiant is, uh, owned by Immortals, and they're well-known in the Overwatch scene, and they were well-known in the LCS, and yes, I'm so salty about that, <laughs> the Shanghai Dragons. Uh, are owned by Nettease, and they're a game-distributing company in China, and they're pretty well-known there. San Francisco Shock is owned by NRG, and they have investors... uh, You know, I think a lot of people know them. Uh, A-Rod, J-Lo, Beast Mode, Shaq, and a couple of others. Um, And that's also the company that... Yep, and the <laughs> company that uh, bought a player for OWL for a reported $150,000 a year. His name is Sinatra, and he is a kick-ass tracer. Seoul Dynasty is owned by KSV Esports and Kevin Cho, um, and KSV Esports is a collaboration beque- between Korea and Silicon Valley, and they are- actually have the Apex Titans Lunatic High already announced, so they're going to be basically the uh, the Titans to beat so to speak for for out people that are missing from this uh houston is optic gaming which is pretty big in esports already london is cloud nine another big team philadelphia is owned by uh comcast Spectacor. uh the new york spot is owned by the ny mets the baseball team miami orlando by what? misfits <laughs> and li and li Good good pegs. And the second Los Angeles Overwatch team is owned by Kroenke, who's known as the owner of the LA Rams, Arsenal, and Denver Nuggets. Um, and there's a lot of rumors about signings and names floating around, but nothing else is officially confirmed by Blizzard or by any of the companies as of this recording. And everyone needs their play- player signings done by at this recording tomorrow, the 30th. And uh, pre season starts in December, and BlizzCon is next week. And see you losers, because I'm headed to BlizzCon next yeah. week, and I'll have an entire <laughs> run of that next week, and it's gonna be awesome and hype. And yeah, if you see me, say hi. Uh, I'll be posting uh, more IOW on Twitter, and I'll probably have like my Instagram or something, and you can see that all on my Twitter. But like, I'm hyped for that.
1: Yeah, but anyway. You look at me, I'm yeah. Peggy. I'm going to BlizzCon.
0: Well, you know,
2: just just <laughs> you know, just going to BlizzCon. For I'm a packing bit.
0: my master's sword to go to LA. Me. <laughs>
2: I can't bring the massive sword on the plane.
0: How are you going to defend that's yourself annoying. from dragons? This is bullshit.
2: <laughs> I'm sure they have a Reinhardt hammer around. Somewhere. That's fair. But yeah. But yeah. So that's, that's the Overwatch League big hitters for right now.
0: So like, is anybody else like, it's surprising to see so many like, I don't know, like, weird businesses and like celebrities like i i know the like teams the sports teams expansion stuff has been happening for a little while now but like yeah, i expected that it's still but, weird
4: like, yeah everything else it's kind of strange when you say like a, a, a natural gas or like oil company has a hand in it and they're just like oh, fuck it esports <laughs> like, all right um
2: uh the i think the dallas fuel specifically is the most like apparent at least by the name itself, because obviously Hirsch is very big in the uh, natural gas and oil, so Fuel is very uh, reminiscent of that. But Valiant's um, logo, which is basically like a helmet, and their color scheme, which is green, a darkish green and yellow, is very uh, throwback to Immortals. And so is Dell's Fuel's Envious colors are very similar as well. So like I like the throwbacks to the teams that they were originally owned by and that sort of thing. Um but yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of heavy hitters here and I really like it and it's 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 encouraging for esports moving forward because this means that a not only are people interested in fan interest and sorry not only are people interested and fans are interested in it but people with money are interested in it and that's what we need to succeed here and with a 20 million dollar uh seat for for each of these teams this is already a very valuable league, and oh it can only get better God. from here as long as as long as what is supposed to happen happens. So right? that's a that's a different story altogether.
1: Real quick, sure. The seats are twenty million dollars, but it's big the news. The league itself
2: is twenty million dollars. Yeah,
1: but it's big news that one of the players is making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That just makes me sad.
2: <laughs> what do you mean?
1: I. I don't know the the compensation scale for esports has always seemed weird to me because like we hear mm-hmm. about all this money going around and like the players don't get paid.
2: Fair, yeah. So when it came to actual player signings, uh, each player is guaranteed fifty thousand dollars a year. That is like the bare minimum of what you are supposed to be playing your uh, paying your your players. I believe the average was around eighty, ninety, around there, but. Um, yeah, so you're supposed to have $50,000 or more for each player. And I believe that's just because I really do think that's just because this is a starting point. And the expectation is, if you do well, you're going to get paid more next year, and it keeps going. Um. Mm-hmm. So that eventually you are getting get paid, you know, the million dollar contract or whatever, you know, the dream contract that eventually will happen. But as of right now, that's a $20 million tr- price tag that you have no idea where it's going to go. And I think why those player those player uh, contracts are so low right now is because, A, for the player themselves, that's probably a, a more than they have ever gotten thus far um, for playing video games specifically, for, yeah. for being eSports players specifically. Um, and I think the expectation is this isn't going to be your salary forever, you're going to get paid more maybe you know double that or triple that depending on the success of the league just trust in the league and there's an incentive in that to continue with the team moving forward
1: so i get that it's just like it's weird to me that the average salary when all this money's getting thrown around is like upper middle class it,
2: for a 23 year old 18 year old that's yeah, it's not like, bad
1: I, again, it's like they're getting paid all this money to play a video game. Mm-hmm. So it's I don't, like, feel awful. I just, like, I think in terms of the amount of, like, value that they're creating being the product, you know, on the rift, as it were. Mm-hmm. It's like, I just think they should be seeing a bigger piece of the pie. That's all.
2: I think they will, and I think that again, I do think it depends on what happens this first season. I think it depends on what happens on the first two seasons, to be honest. After that second season, we should be seeing their their salaries go up by maybe even double that, triple that. It really depends. Yeah, like maybe uh, when they have
0: like more confidence in the
1: viability
2: In the league Yeah, in the viability and the of it long term. Correct, yeah.
1: Yeah. Again, I hope it works out. Um, I think the players should unionize, but that's just me.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I have to imagine something like that's coming sooner or later, right? Like, are there, there's un- is oh, there yeah. unions in every major sports organization?
1: Oh, yeah. Every sport has a has a
3: players association. They're like, they're not great unions, but they are unions. Hmm. This is just so new. This is yeah. so new. We're
0: in totally uncharted territory. Like, the fact that we're at a place where there's a minimum... That's 50 grand is even,
3: like... That's unheard of. Yeah, it's a step up. But it's not there yet. That you're guaranteed money. Talk to anybody who plays, you know, 10 years ago, playing any competitive game. The idea that you were guaranteed money... Like a salary. I mean, that's just... That's that's incredible. Yeah,
4: Yeah, that's just, like, so out of, like, my mind, you know, from what I know from all the gaming stuff and, like, tournaments. Like, when I was was young, man, like, I, I went to, like, the local you know, college nearby to do a StarCraft tournament, I was, like, fucking, you know, 13, you know, like, because I wanted to get some money, but there was only, like, 500 bucks for that, you know, (laughs) and now now people are getting 50k even, it's just, like, this blows my mind, I'm so, like, happy, you know, it went from being, like, 500 dollar prize and gaming is, like, still slightly, you know, like, looked down upon, as like, oh, you're just, like, a gamer or whatever, and now it's, like, esports and, like, 20 million prizes and just, like, all these huge companies and it's just crazy how much it's changed you know
2: so a little bit more a, a little bit more about those those player signings uh this is according to overwatch league's official website teams will sign players to one year guarantee contracts with the option to extend the contract for an additional year The minimum salary for players is $50,000 per year. Teams will provide players with health insurance and a retirement savings plan. The team will distribute at least 50% of their team performance bonuses, i.e. money with winning playoffs and other league events, to their players directly. Mm -hmm. The total bonuses available for Overwatch League teams in Season 1 will amount to USD $3.5 million, with a minimum $1 million awarded to the Season 1 champion.
4: Okay. Damn, Al. And they get healthcare in a
0: four hundred and one k, so that's cool. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and yeah, and it sounds like that fifty thousand sounds a little bit better when you consider that if the team is good, that they'll get kickbacks.
4: And they're, over, I mean, they're already getting healthcare, and and like that's huge.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, like that's the,
0: job. yeah, like they should have that though.
2: There's also there's also that, and there's also the idea that some gaming companies did have um did have gaming houses and that sort of thing. I don't know if that's going to be the case in Overwatch League. I don't know anything about that, but yeah. that was the case, and that still is the case in a lot of esports orgs where these these players do how ha- do have a house together, and that's paid for by the org, or it's paid for in some way, sure. some roundabout right way by the org. So they might also have their have some of their food comp by the org, have some of their uh housing comp by the org. If that's the case, in the best case scenario, I'm I'm talking extreme best case scenario. Your org pays your salary. And then you have a little bit deducted for your housing, your food, because you have a chef or something like that, which which is not unheard of. It's rare, but it's not unheard of by an esports org. Um, and you have like a physical trainer and all that jazz. You have everything taken care of by your org, so everything that you have is dispen- is essentially dispensable income.
3: And and when you're talking about these games, like any any team based game, the mm-hmm. the housing situation is is actually crucial because in order to work on your communication skills and your ability to play as a unit you have to be in the same space it, mm. a lot of these games uh a lot of these teams do they they do lab together in the same space you know they'll all fly out because you have to
2: yeah i imagine everyone's going to be in the same area like in the same city and that sort of thing that has to happen everyone has to move to los angeles for the year that the uh Oh yeah, uh Overwatch League season one is going to happen in Los Angeles. So I imagine that everyone is going to be moving to Los Angeles for that first year. As a matter of fact, I think it is required. But um for the season two, if it moves back to moving around cities and all that jazz, everyone should be moving to their respective hometowns. Like home cities for like if they're in LA Valiant, they should be moving to LA, New York, whatever that team is called, they should be moving to New York and and so on and so forth. So I imagine they should be at least in close proximity to each other, like, down the block or something. Um, I think it's so fucking like cool a, that
0: there's, like, city-based teams like that.
2: I really like the idea. I like the, the whole uh, MLB sort of feel to it.
0: Yeah. Like, I would think it would be so sick if there's, like,
1: oh, there's, like, a New York team? It's, like, cool. It's fucking root for those guys. Like, yeah. Yeah.
3: Man, fuck New York sports.
2: No. Excuse no. Me? No. I, <laughs> actually, I, don't
3: um, I don't really care about New York sports either.
2: Boo! You get uh you get free tickets from the New York Mets if you donate to the New York Flood Center. It's fun fact. Yeah, but That's then you have to able see able to a Mets, see Mets game. Mets? <laughs> Excuse you, they own the New York they they own the New York Owl team. Excuse you. Hey, at least uh the NA Yankees. Nope, at least the NA Yankees <laughs> are somehow involved in the NALCS. Hey, speaking of the NALCS, uh, they have some pretty big backers there as well. Um. Counter Logic Gaming, also known as CLG, is backed by Madison Square Garden, uh, who owns what? the NY Knicks and the NY Rangers. I who- never knew that. Yep. Actually, in their job descriptions and that sort of stuff on their website, they do mention Counter Logic Gaming. I have seen it. Uh, don't ask me why. So Echo, Echo Fox why? is also uh, backed by the New York Yankees and owned by former NBA player Rick Fox. That's why they have Fox in their name. Fly yeah, West didn't wasn't was the story
0: behind that that he bought the team and named it that because his son liked esports, right?
2: That might be. The I things. think
0: I think I know that happened with one of these teams. I think it was him. I think it's that one. Yeah, Echo Fox. I yeah. would
2: I would not be surprised if that's the case, but I cannot confirm. I didn't know the
0: Yankees were involved with that too. That's crazy. The Yankees
2: just got involved like two weeks ago. They invested in they invested in a company that's invested in Echo Fox, but it's like. Rick Fox's transit company, like, transit investment company. Okay, yeah. So they invested in Echo Fox. Um, So yeah, Uh, FlyQuest is owned by the Milwaukee Bucks co- co-owner Wesley Edens uh, and used to be Cloud9's challenger group until they both qualified to the NALCS and had to be split due to Riot's rules about an org owning two teams in a league, which is a big no-no. Um, And then the NBA teams that have a spot in the NALCS... Uh, for this coming year are the Golden State Warriors, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Houston Rockets. Like what? So <laughs> goofy. It's so weird. Yeah. They will be replacing Team NBS and Mortals. Rip Rip Mortals. Always Rip Mortals.
0: So now um. So are these new teams gonna just have new names and be owned? by these teams or are they literally just gonna be like the Cleveland Cavaliers as a,
2: as a League of Legends team? So no one no one actually knows. I don't think there's any big information on that just yet. Um
3: LeBron's really playing Mitch just... the
2: <laughs> <laughs> He can do it all no. Uh there's not that much more information on it, to be honest. Other than just these are the guys that that have the spots that can do the thing that can be in the n a l c s
0: that shit is so weird though like yep. i like the idea that three different n b a teams bought league teams this year is just like why
3: like it's so like i just can't I mean, to get be the... fair
2: the n b a has always been the one that's been on like has always been the most cutting edge out of any of the traditional sports. They've always been the one that, at least for me, has struck as they're the ones most likely to, to embrace some sort of change and have always been the ones who've been targeting the the same demographic as esports would. So it makes sense for them to be like, oh, our our audience likes these guys too. Okay, let's see see what we can do here.
1: Yeah, like... The NBA is the only league willing to go help save the Looney Tunes from intergalactic slavery. <laughs> That's really
0: true.
2: Wow.
1: You're
0: not wrong. I
2: cannot believe.
1: Oh, wait, to be fair, Andy, wasn't Michael Jordan in the MLB at that point? So... Uh, no, no, he was not. He was in minor league baseball. Oh, right. Fuck,
3: I forgot. He sucked. <laughs> yeah, Michael Jordan was not good at baseball. <laughs> and, and the movie ends with him going back to the NBA, so... That's true. All right, fair enough. (laughs) Implying that the Looney Tunes are the reason that he came back to the NBA.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I believe it. I think it's uh,
0: canonical. Michael Jordan space romp. Anyway, uh, Sean, I think you were going to say something before about... uh...
2: Actually, hang on one second, but I should also mention that these are the teams that, according to uh, multiple reports from ESPN, Esports, and The Score, and I believe... The Esports Observer have all said are the ones that are clinching the last three spots. So, while it's not confirmed, it's very heavily implied that these are the last three teams. Those three NBA. Oh, okay, okay,
3: okay. That, yeah, alright. It's so weird. Yeah, this is really fascinating.
2: Either way, there's a lot of of big money revolving around, and it has a lot to do with the NBA.
0: Specifically the NBA, which is just, like, crazy. And not even just, like... Active teams like just there's a lot of
1: basketball players that own esports teams. Like it's I don't know. Back before the, you know, complete collapse of Dignant to Us, uh, the Sixers bought them. <laughs> R.I.P.
2: They so, don't
3: trust the process. Um, Sonic Fox plays uh Injustice Two and he plays Yeah he does. Yeah, he plays it very well and he got bodied. Uh, at E-League on Friday night by Forever King twice, Um, but uh, I didn't know that Echo Fox was owned by Rick Fox. That's actually hilarious. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) But no, this is fascinating. Um, And I think just kind of recapping what I think this all says is that people smell the blood in the water, if you will. People recognize that there is a lot of money big money in esports, um, because that's what gamers are gamers are going there. Gamers are looking for this stuff. Um, I mean, I watched E League on Friday on T B S, you know? Um, this thing is that's blowing up. It's crazy. getting huge. Yeah. Yep. It's 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 getting big. Um, and now is the time to get in on the ground floor. Um, yep. because that's when you can make the most money and really sort of build something huge. And so it's not it's not a surprise in the in that sense that all these um teams are sort of stepping up because this is this is the next wave yep. right this mm-hmm. is the this is the next big thing um <clears throat> a lot of a lot of gamers are not necessarily interested in sports but they'll watch esports because they engage with us with this every day anyways uh so yeah. This is this is awesome. I'm very happy for these players that now, um, at least for these games, there is guaranteed cash. Um, I like that the pots are getting bigger every single year. Mm-hmm. Uh in Injustice right now they're playing for two hundred and fifty thousand dollar pot. Uh, granted that's not as big as the, the million dollars that uh the million dollar pot that I think they're playing for in um Heroes of the Storm. But still Huge, huge. I mean, when you talk stuff, about fighting game, two, it's only one person who wins, so that payout right. matters more. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, $150,000 to the number one uh, player yeah. in Injustice 2. And you gotta think, so. like, how long does that tournament season
0: take? Like, a year? So it's like, I mean, he's pulling in one hundred fifty k a year, then if he wins that tournament,
3: you know, like... <laughs> not even. The, the, the tournament that I'm specifically referring to is a three-week deal. Oh, you wow. Know, and you're playing... Yeah. So... You're you're playing maybe twenty matches, if that. That's actually high. Yeah, you're, you're playing less than mm-hmm. twenty games, and you have the opportunity to win one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now, granted, that's after you've played, you know, in many other tournaments. Sure. But there's prizes there too. Right. So you're making money, you know, all year round. Plus you've got a sponsor. So there's there's a lot of money to be made. And, plus you don't uh, have I to think play it's, Heroes of the Storm. So like the price. <laughs> Can be less because they don't have to pay you to play Heroes of the Storm.
1: <laughs> wow, Andy. <laughs> the defeat in Sean's
0: face right now.
3: It's not defeat. It's just it's pure anger. This
1: is who I am, Sean. We've been doing this show, what, 30 episodes now?
3: <laughs> yeah, and I and, and I'm there because I understand you. Uh but that doesn't make me not angry with you. <laughs> But anyway, um, to put the focus back on uh, Peggy's excellent reporting, uh, I think that this sort of sets the table for where esports is going in the future, and Mm -hmm. I personally can't wait to see um, how OWL develops and how the League of Legends World Series kind of uh, takes shape with this in mind.
2: Yeah. My favorite thing... um... Just within like the past, I've only been covering esports for the past like year and a half or so. Um, ever since Overwatch really came out of beta is really when I came in. Um, uh, but my favorite thing is to see like when whenever ESPN esports, uh, ends up on the ESPN Facebook page for some report, um, you get the comments, it's like, oh, it's not real sports and all that jazz. And you just see people being trolls or like, relative usually it's like older guys just being like this isn't a sport get it off my page and it's like that's fine we'll leave you behind hey i no sweat off our brow if you're not if you're not into it that's fine but this is where sports are headed to the future this is where all the money's going to be and if you don't like it get out of the damn way because we're coming in and that this is where a your sports teams are going and b where you know where the younger where, I don't want to say the hip crowd. I don't want to say the younger crowd, but this is this is the future of the next big like entertainment thing is, and that's that's gonna stay for a while. Especially if the Overwatch League goes to as big as what it's always been hyped to be, and if it doesn't, Overwatch esports is going to stumble quite a bit, and it's gonna take a very long time for it to come back. But I do think there is a a uh, I do think there is a future for it, regardless of what happens with the Overwatch League. I think it'll stumble again. I think it will, um, there will be a lot of, a lot more hurdles for it. But I do think there is a chance for Overwatch to come back, regardless of out. Um, League of Legends will remain League of Legends no matter what happens, and it's just going to keep going. Uh, CSGO is going to keep going. Smash is only going to get bigger from here. Injustice is only going to get bigger from here. PUBG is starting up. H1Z1 is starting up. There's so many games that have such esports potential, and it's only getting more and more professional to that sport quality, traditional sport quality, that we're seeing with baseball, football, the other ones. And, you know, it's, it's only going to get bigger from here. And I would say jump on board now, because if you can do stuff, if you can make content, if you can report on it, you know, do something in the esports realm, because it's going to pay off, uh, and you're gonna really like where it comes out in the next five, ten years,
3: or just get in, get in on the ground floor as a fan, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah,
2: be a fan of it, be part of it in some way. I'm not, of course, you know. I'm I'm always one for like be a journalist because I, for one, am a journalist. But yeah, be a fan of it. Root for someone. Be awesome and just like go. Hey, I really like Dallas Fuel because I like their Genji skin. They had a Genji skin in the announcement. Um, go for it. Be awesome. They they just announced their, their roster team, their roster, like, yesterday. So, like, go out, be cool, root for these guys, because they're going to be around for a very long time.
0: I think that's a good note to end it on. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Uh, Peggy, thank you so much for joining us here on this episode. This has been a blast. And uh, thank you for all the, you know, reporting you did for our main segment here. Um, we will definitely have to have you on more in the future. <laughs>
2: sure no problem as long as uh you know i just look forward to the time where we get to talk about water pokemon and hack <laughs> yeah
1: that's,
0: that's right it. that's right you stop
2: i <laughs> will <laughs> keep going we've been going for like two hours, I will make it three.
1: Please <laughs> <laughs> don't. <I apologize. laughs> that's a threat. <laughs> I, have, I have law school things to do. I have to go. Right. I
2: have to get ready for PlusCon. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs>
1: ha, I called your bluff. All right, cool.
2: So
0: that's going to wrap it up for the discussion here in episode 27 of the Video Game Pals. If you guys want to uh, write in again, you can hit us up at thevideogamepals at gmail.com. Uh, let us know your thoughts on any of this stuff we discussed this episode. Let us know who your favorite esports teams are, or which NBA teams
1: you think should buy esports teams.
2: <laughs> or your favorite player. I'm calling Let's it now. The
1: next four years of LCS Finals are just going to be Cavs Warriors. <laughs> that's what we and
0: have, SKT. That's what we have to look forward to from now on. JK, that would require American teams to be in the finals.
1: Nah, man, like
0: NALCS. Oh, wow. <laughs> Not Worlds finals. God, an American team is never going to win Worlds. One day. One day for Wait, NA. One day? No, no literally
2: never.
0: <laughs> Alright, so before we bounce out of here uh, real quick, Peggy, why don't you just tell the listeners again where they can find you and uh, your writing.
2: Yes! Uh, I'm on Winston's Lab, but I'm also, uh, the main place you can contact me is on Twitter at Moriow, that's M-O-I-R-A-I-O-W.
0: Cool.
1: Thank you again so much for joining us. This was a blast.
2: And And uh, if you need need to to find
1: Peggy in person, you just go down to the bridge. Doesn't matter which bridge, (laughs) the bridge. You knock three times on the center post, ask for Greg. Greg will stick his head out from the river. Okay. And he'll ask you three riddles. You're gonna to want to Sweet. answer them all wrong, <laughs> okay? And then he'll give That's you Peggy's
2: important.
4: address. This is some Monkey Island bullshit. <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> Why does this
0: troll have her address? She should
2: let you know that uh, after the firmware update, it's Winona. You have to ask for Winona. Oh. And she huh. will give you the questions.
4: Firmware.
1: <laughs> all right, guys. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Video Game Pals. Thanks for listening. Later, guys. Bye. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. I'm here to be a ridiculous human being and chew that's bubble gum. A, that, that's a parent.
0: That's great.
1: And I'm all out of bubble gum. <laughs> <laughs>